There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with Arvind Hickman. I'm Arvind Hickman and welcome to The PR Show. Today, we're going to discuss the mental health of our industry and what agencies can do to provide better support as we head into a long and dark winter with many of us working in isolation. It's no secret the mental health of the communications industry is poor. Studies report that 60% of us have had some sort of mental health problem in the past and a recent study by the PRCA found that although we're getting better at talking about mental health, we are actually getting worse at dealing with it. Only a quarter who have struggled with mental health say they have taken time off due to the pressures of work, the COVID crisis, and a poor work-life balance. I know from speaking to many agency leaders, there are serious concerns about how well-equipped the industry is at looking after its employees' mental well-being, particularly as the COVID crisis drags on through winter. But it's not all doom and gloom. This crisis provides an opportunity for the industry to improve how it supports our mental well-being. To discuss this, I'm joined by Don't Cry Wolf CEO John Brown, the Romans Senior Account Director Indigo Lefebvre, Fleischmann Hillard Fishburns ECD Kevo Sullivan, and Amy McKeown, a mental health and well-being expert who is also part of the Head Office Collective. We are also joined by Edelman's Managing Director of Advocacy and Public Affairs, Luciana Berger. The former MP of Liverpool Wavertree previously served as Shadow Minister for Mental Health under Jeremy Corbyn and brings years of public policy expertise to this discussion. Thank you all for joining us. To begin with, a couple of panellists have personal experiences of their own battles with mental health they would like to share. John, can you please share your story first? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've, I've had a few different experiences with, with uh, mental health issues over time, I guess, from a f- sort of cra- a slightly crazy, uh, uh, wild teenage years um, led into 
I guess, I guess, yeah, I mean, it was drug addiction and uh, that kind of then uh, manifested itself in um, something quite awful, which was me having a, a heart attack at the age of 19. And that then spurring on a, uh, a pretty sort of deep seated kind of sense of, um, of dread, uh, constantly fearing sort of whether there's, uh, you know, I'm going to have another one of these episodes and, and being quite detached from, from, from my previous life. And that, uh, that was a tough old thing to battle at the age of kind of 19, 20. Um, luckily, I was given some pretty outstanding support um, through some extraordinary therapists and some CBT therapy um, that got me through a very dark period and, and, and built, uh, built me back up again from the ground up. Um, but to be honest with you, one thing that I've learned is that this is um, that that whole experience has taught me that this is a kind of a continuous well-being. Um, uh, working at mental health is a is a is a continuous thing. It's it's the same as going to the gym or going for a jog or what or what have you. So my therapy um, has continued, not as intense, obviously, but um, throughout the rest of well, ever since that, that, those those days to to today. And I think that's a tremendously important part of um, being a fairly well-balanced guy i think but it's something that you're now man handling much better than you were previously absolutely oh gosh absolutely i mean yeah there was it was it was a you know there, there, there's a uh there, there was a fair few moments there where it was where it was pretty pretty rocky you know um going discovering a fairly addictive personality that manifesting itself in some pretty appalling kind of thought processes and um leading eventually into some some quite quite uh nasty sense of de- depression and anxiety um, to now where it's, you know, if, if anything, I spend a lot of time trying to, I guess, discuss mental health with my team, friends, family, and what have you so openly and transparently, because I think it's just such a tremendously important thing to kind of keep on top of, you know, not just to let that go to, to um, uh, aside, and in, especially in this sort of environment, it needs to be worked at. Okay, thanks for sharing your story. Kev, you recently wrote a candid piece in PR Week about addiction. Can you take us through your personal experiences? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, started in the PR industry in the early noughties when the communications world was almost synonymous with excess, uh, fun, drinking, drugging, what have you. And I wore it as a, uh, I suppose, a brighter badge of honour than than anybody else. And it wasn't until I think I hit my mid 30s uh, and the unfortunate passing of my father uh, as well as having just launched a, a a pretty successful comms agency surname and surname that I realized that the party had uh, long ended and uh, only I <laughs> had failed to realize that said party wasn't going on anymore and that my drinking was almost exclusively almost um automatic in a way it wasn't even my decision to escape there was something in me that was forcing me to reach for the bottle in the strangest and most excessive of of circumstances and actually that continued on off for a very long time you hear people discuss their battle with addiction mine was very much being in the boxing ring with alcohol Mm. and every time that I tried to get out uh, either the alcohol or I myself pulled myself back in, uh, and it was uh, it was it was tough because not only did I not really ever, well, 
I, I didn't appreciate that I had a problem until uh, probably the end of last year. And equally, I hadn't realized how big that problem was. Uh, and it led to a lot of deceit, a lot of secrecy. And um, when I suddenly realized through quite an, a shocking experience, um, not not too dissimilar to to John's early experience, uh, I found myself in a hospital in, in Chicago as a result of having consumed far too much. And then after a, a relatively short stint in rehab, uh, realized that it was either uh, alcohol or all my life, to be honest. Um, mm. And then following some pretty extraordinary support, therapy, self-discovery, and uh, I'm glad to say abstinence, uh, my life is, uh, has been absolutely transformed for, for the better. Thanks both of you for sharing that. I, I appreciate how difficult it must be, but it's good to see that you're both doing much better. But, but I guess the reason why I wanted to open the discussion with your personal stories was to really illustrate that, you know, while these stories are unique to everyone individually, um, sadly, they're not that uncommon in this industry. I'd like to sort of explore now why um, PR and comms has poor mental health. Indigo, what do you think the reasons are for this? Um, I think there are so many reasons, but I think fundamentally, um, as an industry, uh, going back through decades and decades, PR has always been regarded as an industry that is one based on high pressure and quick speed and agility and the need to deliver impressive results incredibly quickly, um, perhaps to the detriment of those individuals. And um, I think in, in many people's experiences, definitely to their personal detriment, which is a shame. Um, I do think it's fair to say that that has evolved in more recent years and as an industry we are um, growing um, and becoming better at having those conversations and encouraging that transparency um, but I think it's it's definitely fair to say that there's still a way for the industry to go I mean the the data and the stats you could and just from last year, uh, 60% are diagnosed with, with a mental health condition. Nine in 10 PR professionals say that they do struggle with their mental health. Um, so I think broadly speaking, it's great that we're having more open conversations. We're, you know, we're talking the talk, um, but uh, forgive me for using such a cliched phrase, walking the walk is still um, needs a lot more work, I think, which is you know, why it's great that we're having conversations like this today and raising greater awareness. Okay. Amy, I want to bring you into this conversation. You consult across a wide variety of sectors. Uh, do you sort of have any insights in how other sectors are coping with mental health? So I have been, as you said, working uh, in mental health for 20 years. Um, my father was a consultant psychiatrist, so we kind of grew up in a, in a world of mental health. And I've spent 20 years putting in health and mental health strategies across public sector um, but accountancy, I've just written Burberry's global strategy. So many different industries and different industries have different issues. But I would think in terms of general theme, um, mental health has only really kicked in as an issue that firms need, feel they need to do something about in the last five years. And um, prior to that, you generally had a couple of champions, but it really wasn't talked about. And um, it was really hard to get anyone to take it seriously. Indigo mentioned, you know, we're now talking the talk a lot more. So in five years, there's definitely been a big difference between people not doing very much to now talking a lot more about it. Um, that's met with varying amounts of action. 
What I would also say, though, is that different industries have different challenges. So with PR especially, and, and a lot of the client service or professional service industries, some of the challenges are intrinsic to the industry and also dealing with, with clients. So you have kind of quite high pressure, quite high client demand industries and cultures develop where actually the client is king. What the client says is correct, even if that means sort of really working people to the bone to get there. So that's obviously a very different challenge to sort of firms that are retail or manufacturing where you've got different challenges there. Mm. Luciana, I'd like to bring you into the conversation. Um, that point about client pressure, is that something that you've noticed? I know you haven't been in Edelman for very long. So I'm relatively new to the PR world uh, as you know, I've only recently joined Edelman. I actually started the role in lockdown. So I've had a particular experience, which, you know, again, across the industry, you know, many people are, are starting because actually the demand for the services we provide to our clients at this time of crisis in, in some ways is increasing. Mm. Uh, and there are increasing demands, particularly in, in, in my sector around public affairs and advocacy as well. So uh, in, in terms of particular challenges that come from, from working not just in PR, but specifically in agencies, actually, you know, we're seeing you know, more demands from our, from our clients at this time that we must meet. And I suppose in terms of how our ways of working are impacted, you know, we're not able to do things in as fish, an, an efficient a way as we perhaps normally would do. So we're not able to you know, just come together very quickly for a meeting, for having to put proposals together. Doing that collectively via, you know, online, via Zoom or via Teams is um, not as efficient and not as easy in terms of collaborations that it would be if we were co-located together. So there's additional challenges that come with this time, as well as those extra demands as well. The combination of which, when we find ourselves socially isolated uh, and not able to connect with our networks in the same way that we would, means that you know the pressures are much harder. And it's no surprise that we see in the survey that just come out that you know all people's uh, mental health, particularly our younger members of the industry, are impacted negatively at this time. And the scores are lower this year than they were. Um, uh, previously mm, it's it's a really interesting point uh, you come from a uh, obviously from politics where there is constant pressure on, on on what you do how would you describe the differences in pressure that you you see in this industry versus what you were previously doing i don't think anything really compares with being uh, actually on in frontline politics uh just you know the nature of the role where you know you, you are also um, very public in, in what you do, very publicly accessible, very publicly available, um, and you're under the spotlight of the media. So mm -hmm. while obviously that, that's, that's the same for our clients, you know, on an individual level, it's, it's, it's perhaps a, a bit easier now, and um, not working in the limelight. Um, but again, certainly, you know, different, different sectors are experiencing different challenges at this time. Um, and, you know, again, I just reiterate the point before that um, because certainly the volume of work that we are contending with is increasing and, and that adds the pressures. Okay. You're also a public policy expert in terms of mental health. I know you've previously said that we have a mental health crisis in this country. Has there been enough government support on mental health and, and why? No, there has not been enough support extended to mental health in the same way that we see services available for our physical health. And that has long been the case. You know, it's not it's not um, connected to any particular government. Um, and certainly what we have seen in this country and what other panelists have, have spoken to is much progress in the way in which we discuss mental health. And um, again, you know, we're on a journey and we haven't achieved everything, but certainly we're, we're, you know, we're able to have conversations like this in a way that I don't think we would have been able to 
say 10 years ago, um, but there isn't necessarily the services then available for people to access should they need to when they've identified the fact that they are um, having difficulties with their mental health. Uh, and this unfortunately has been exacerbated as a result of lockdown. So we saw many mental health services that were previously available um, move online, which wasn't uh, has not been appropriate for everyone. And um, we've seen lots of face-to-face -face services just not able to go ahead. And the very nature of having a mental health condition means you need that personal interaction. So again, it's even more disproportionately hit uh, in the wake of the COVID pandemic, uh, which is in addition to which has also been exacerbated by the fact there's been such pressures on our physical health services that, you know, first and foremost are contending with the preservation of life, which we know has taken priority at this time. So for lots of different reasons, you know, mental health has always been the poor relation to physical health, and that is even more pronounced at this moment. Okay. I'd like to take a look specifically at the impact of COVID on mental health, specifically within agencies. John, how much has the COVID crisis impacted the mental health of your colleagues? I think significantly. Um, it was interesting, you know, when, when, when the first sort of uh, lockdown or just, just pre-lockdown, we, we, went, we, we started working from home fairly swiftly, if you like, um, that it was sort of met with almost like this honeymoon period of isn't this lovely and you know I'm getting so much done and um, managing to sort of squeeze in some some other sort of activities and things like that um, that very quickly wore off uh, and and actually what we found was that the um, resilience that we perhaps had as a collective when we were in the same room as one another and we were sharing stories and we were. Uh, sort of almost you know spontaneously supporting one another i guess is the best thing you know that 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 serendipitous moment when you overhear a fairly difficult client conversation that's that might be taking place and you kind of jump in and and, and you, you you all gather around each other to sort of discuss it and 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 go through it that obviously wasn't there anymore and that resilience started to be chipped to chipped to chipped away at um and not only that i guess you know, for me, I live in a fairly nice house in 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 a, in a, in a leafy part of Surrey. It's it's okay for me to work uh, work from home. Um, for for quite a number of my my team, you know, they're not in that same circumstance. They're they're sharing a kitchen table with four or five other people around that table, um, in a in a fairly kind of combative environment because everyone's a little bit more frustrated. That's a poor mental health environment to work in. So we started to see that come through. Um. And very quickly, we had to put in place some practices, some policies, and, and some very clear support to try and help people uh, through this. So, and 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 it's and it's something that we're just we're just sticking to now because it, it, we can't really see a sort of an, an end in sight for this just yet. Indigo, what's it been like at the Romans? Yeah, I completely agree with with John on, on many levels. I think initially when we first went into that initial wave of lockdown, um, it, it was a bit exciting, a bit new and a bit different. And we were all adapting to different ways of working, but the novelty hadn't worn off. Um, I think that novelty did wear off pretty swiftly. And um, when the lockdown restrictions started to be lifted, everyone was given a, a very personal choice as to whether they wanted to continue to work from home or come into the office, which had obviously been um, safeguarded and, and updated to be in line with those COVID guidelines. And we were sort of slightly surprised, but really um, pleased that actually pretty much everyone um, at the Romans was 
pretty desperate to get back into the office and to see their colleagues and see their friends and have those sort of human interactions and have that work bond back in place again, albeit under a slightly different uh, guise um, in light of the new normal. Um, obviously, some of that freedom's been sort of stripped back again now and we've got a, a much higher proportion of the of the team back working at home again. Um, but I, I agree with John, I think once that novelty wore off, it became very very, very apparent that we needed to put some additional um, measures in place so that people were still getting that daily interaction and we were having those conversations where you could be transparent with people about how you were coping and, and, and how you were managing and getting people to be honest and earnest and candid candid with us um, especially you know our workforce is all quite young um, a lot of them this might be their first job out of university and this is incredibly stressful time at the best of times let alone in 2020 um, and yet to John's point as well myself included I was one of those people around a kitchen table no garden which was absolutely delightful during the summer heat wave we all enjoyed um, and it definitely takes its toll so I think it's important to realise that, yes, we're all dealing with something as an industry and each agency is, is handling that differently, but also each individual is, is um, responding to that differently as well. We really can't generalise or sort of homogenise about how we're all coping and managing it. It really is such a personal subjective thing. And it's, I think it's important we take a personal subjective approach into how we navigate these times and, and those conversations with each of our team. Okay. Kim, I'd like to get your views on this as well, and then I'll go to um, Luciana. What's it been like with your colleagues at Fleischmann, and how concerned are you about the next six months? Uh, incredibly concerned about the next six months. Uh, you know, we can't overlook the impact that winter has on people's mental health. Also, I think the uncertainty around what the holiday period will look like will people be able to see their families during the festive period who knows i think that could add to extra stress i also think that something happens to the mind towards the end of the year where you feel like you're almost going to get a bit of a break and a bit of a release and i wonder if that's going to be jeopardized through as indigo described some of those uh those lockdown life problems. In terms of what we've experienced today, I think that the most worrying thing is not knowing. Uh, we are very conscious and conscientious at Fleischmann Hillard about each other's well-being. Um, it's a big part of how we work, it's a big part of how we succeed. And we're always looking out for each other, but those small exchanges that one would have in the office where you could see maybe someone was struggling or someone wasn't seeming quite themselves just don't happen in the same way. And it's not quite easy to read people's well-being over a Zoom uh, call. Um, and um, therefore, I think the, the biggest concern we face is how do you ask people how they're doing like of course that's the the most obvious way of doing it just put the question to them but when you're dealing with over 250 people here in london alone when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Keeping a track of those individuals uh, can, be, can be tough. And so what we really, really commit to doing, which again, that comes with its cost, is making sure that we're connecting as much as possible and probably not in person um, enough for the, for the human mind, but as much as we can through the various platforms, again, facing the issue that screen time has been proven to have a fairly negative effect on people's mental health. So how do you keep checking in with people when one of the big things they need is a rest from their laptop, tablet or phone? So it's, it's, it's really tough. And uh, as again, as Indigo said, it's so subjective, uh, but, we're, but we're looking even closer at it now. Okay. Luciana, what's it been like at Edelman? I'm acutely conscious of and aware about my own team's mental health and across the business. It's it's right at the top of the priorities to make sure that it's something that we are not just like alive to, but actually making a difference in terms of the actions and the things we're doing to try and offset what is a very, very difficult time. Yeah. I think with all the best one in the world and, and with every single um, action that's been, been brought forward, you know, we still have a challenge on our hands because we've come out of the first lockdown. We're expecting you know, increased restrictions and we're now going into the darkest depths of a cold winter. And that, you know, for many people that might be affected by seasonal affective disorder is only going to make it worse. But certainly we've got lots of practical um, mechanisms and processes in place to try and make things easier. So um, just things like limiting meetings to 30 minutes. Um, when I have my team meetings, I try and encourage everyone to get outside and do walk and talk so that we're not, you know, attached to that screen that, you know, um, we've just heard about um, trying to block out time in diaries so we don't have those meetings, not sending emails outside of like, working times, ensuring people take their holiday because, you know, we see lots of people have their booked holidays um, cancelled or not able to go ahead and people just wanting to stay at work and actually trying to actively encourage people to take time out um, and not be you know working from week from week to week and also just being conscious of people's very different living arrangements I mean whether it's the examples we've heard of people that you know are living in shared accommodation equally we've got some of our team who live by themselves and that brings different pressures um, I'm a, a mum to two children under the age of four uh, you know for our working parents there are different um experiences and issues that they have faced particularly during the lockdown period so it's also making sure that we tailor all of the support and um, to meet people's very different needs at this time but it certainly hasn't been easy and we are in, you know very much aware and alive to the challenges that we face ahead okay amy i spoke to you a little bit earlier today and you said that while while there is a difficult situation there is a positive side to all this can you can you please elaborate um, yeah, I'd like to just sort of uh, qualify that with I was was not in any way making light of of the situation that any of us are in, and and um, 
and where we are because I mean I've spent uh, the last six months dealing with I think all of the issues that everybody's just commented about team working younger people sharing things so in, in no way was I trying to make light of any of those which are very real um, issues that we all have to deal with um, no. what I yeah what I was saying was was that actually just to, uh, I try and look at the optimistic because it is such a grim time at the moment. And as everyone said, just dealing with the uncertainty and the grief of what's happened, the grief of losing the sort of freedoms that we had and the uncertainty. Um, I was trying to look at the silver lining. So um, where I was coming from was that so a lot of the work I've done in health and mental health over the last 20 years has shown that existing uh, working practices did actually create quite a lot of ill health. Um, the way that companies are structured, um, pressures. Um, Luciana has two small children, so do I. Um, in a, a lot of industries, uh, there is, once you re reach parenthood, a big problem with gender, um, gender equality um, and gender pay parity. And as someone who's worked in health and mental health such a long time, um, I've always been around the sort of disability issue and the fact that it's so difficult for people with disabilities to get into the workplace. So what I was saying was that this is actually a sort of reset in that the working from home and getting to grips with remote working whilst the challenge gives us the chance to reset things in a different way. Certainly for me, um, working from home has enabled me uh, to, to continue to work with two small children and until previously, flexible working policies within firms were actually quite quite small or quite negative or or the more part time jobs weren't very senior for women. So what I was and also what you see with mental health uh, and every industry struggles with this is that mental health often shows up, first of all, as a performance management problem. So because people didn't really talk about it and also within mental health, often the person who's suffering is the first person to you know, the last person to realize they have a problem. Often what happens within organizations is mental health shows up as poor performance. And what organizations tend to do is then push you down the performance management curve as opposed to are you unwell and how can we support you curve. So what I was saying before was that actually the fact that we all have to so robustly look at our working practices and cultures and deal with this flexible working and remote working and uncertainty, the silver lining, if there is any, on what is a very grim period is it's a chance to really look at what wasn't working before or some of the issues like disabled people in the workplace that we hadn't really tackled or the fact that there is still such um, gender parity issues and so few women at the top of varying different industries so it gives us a chance to sort of rebuild a forced rebuild is where i was coming from okay if there was one thing you could recommend it and i'll ask each of our panelists the same question if there's one thing that you could re recommend that agency leaders do right now to help improve um, the mental well-being of their their workforces what would that thing be i know it's not that simplistic but if there's one sort of one one sort of thing that they could work on Oh, um, it's a, such a tricky question. I mean, the work I do is about getting good strategic practices and making sure you've got the right support. So writing a good strategy and making sure you've got the good support, but that's more medium term. At the start, I think that organizations of all sizes from really small agencies to ones that have dealt with you know, the, the, the large ones, it's about communication, transparency, and honesty. Being honest with people about where they are, what's going on in terms of jobs, what's going on in terms of the finances of an agency. I think that just because we're in such uncertain times, the most immediate thing anyone can do is that transparency and openness, whilst then making sure that they've got a proper strategy in place and proper support. 
Okay, I'll ask this to John. John, I know we don't have all the answers, but if there's one thing that you've been doing at Don't Cry Wolf that you think has made a difference, what would that thing be? So I don't want to I don't want to sound like star pupil now, but what Amy just said was um, was was really interesting because one of the first things that we implemented was a weekly uh, kind of review of of business performance and health, and that went from every week now I give a update in terms of any client churn, how we're doing financially, what we've got in the bank, things like that, what we're doing in terms of training, um, and that happens on a weekly call and that has been enormously beneficial to not just keeping people informed, but actually but those that have, have been concerned have raised their concerns. So it's kind of fostered that kind of that transparency piece, which we're absolutely like, you know, that's, that's ingrained in, 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 well, in our brand name um, as well as everything else. I guess on top of that, we quite rapidly looked at sort of three, three areas, which was, you know, how, how do we kind of put in place a safety net? So how do we make sure that there's some safety net uh, sessions available? So that could be from therapy, actual therapy sessions that we provide um, through to now having a mental first aider as part of our team, uh, mental health first aider as part of our team. Um, how do we nurture good mental health? So we re had to reorganize our benefits package um, entirely so that there was benefits that actually people could take advantage of whilst being at home or in lockdown. Um, and then the final thing was looking at this, this structural point. So how do we improve our communications channels and the level of transparency across the business to not just keep everyone informed, but to provide moments and pockets of time that allowed people to ask questions, raise concerns, um, and, and share a moment of either anxiety, worry, whatever it might be, that then we could um, address. Okay, Indigo, what's the one thing that the Romans have done that you think has worked well? Yeah, I think, um... It's a really tricky question, as you say, Arvind, and at the risk of sounding like I'm oversimplifying it, for me at the Romans, it's just about genuinely, authentically caring. Um, mm -hmm. I think Amy's point about having those strategies in place is so, so important, but I think it's very easy for any agency to, to talk about all the, all the sort of things that they're implementing and all the support networks that they're putting in, in place. But unless you truly believe in those things and you believe in what you're preaching and you're speaking authentically and genuinely care, all of those things don't, don't really mean anything. Um, I mean, we have a mental wellness program at the Romans, um, myself and other employees, we were all became qualified mental health first aiders about a year ago now. Um, and yes, we have access to external therapy and support. And we, we have a program that all of our employees and their families can make use of as well, which gives them access to trained, qualified therapists 24 hours a day. So all of those things are absolutely brilliant. Of course they are. And we should all be making sure that they're available to our, to our employees. But yeah, bottom line, if you don't actually care about any of the things that you're talking about, if you're not walking the walk, to quote, to quote what we discussed earlier, it's not going to manifest itself in the business it's not going to be embodied by our by our team members and people aren't going to make the most or, or feel comfortable or able to make use of those services that are available to them and that just it sounds like such a simple thing but I just think it's so fundamentally important and something that a lot of agencies are sadly falling a bit short of. Okay Kev at Fleischmann what is the one thing that you think has made a difference and I know it's a very simplistic question but but just give us one one idea. 
I think the one thing that's made a massive difference at Fleischmann Hillard has been looking at mental health as not just a health issue, but a diversity and inclusion issue. Because actually, there's a slight systematic shift that happens there, right? It's viewing this not as just some vague, uh, pervasive, incomprehensible thing that exists in our society it actually views it as a quite tangible challenge that needs to be tackled and those individuals facing mental health challenges need to be supported in a very palpable and measurable way Uh, we actually introduced the FHF mind guide which is a bit of a cheat answer to your question because it in effect includes every single imaginable policy service support check-in uh offering that the whole shebang um because we know this is a problem that must be tackled through a strategy it can't just be something that we try and shift culturally it's a problem that you know at the end of every single week we need to look at and see are we improving the mental health of our colleagues and if not we are failing and it is a big big problem and it's actually addressed by our executive committee you know every single one of their meetings as important as our financial success success okay luciana i know you went through a few things that you're doing in edelman before but is there one specifically that you think's really made a difference I would echo much of the contributions you've heard already about some kind of very practical things that have happened. And perhaps the one thing that I can add that hasn't been touched on um, so far is about knowing where you're at as a business and, and understanding you know, how people feel and what their views are and what their challenges are. Um, and unless you actually have that information and data, then you can't establish where you're at and also where you need to get to in terms of the improvements that need to be made. So as a business, Edelman during COVID has continued to take a regular pulse on our people and how they're coping, but we've increased um, how frequently that's being done. So we have an all-staff PECON survey. Uh, We've increased the amount of times that's um, extended and and the number of times we're asking all of our team to complete that. We also, as, as Kev indicated, we're also looking at this through the lens of um, diversity and inclusion. Um, so we are working on a diversity and inclusion census, which is incorporating elements to do with mental health. And we're also joining the Mind Wellbeing Index. Um, and Mind obviously is uh, one of our foremost uh, mental health charities in this country. They're doing a lot of work to support employers. Uh, and, we're, and we're doing that action as well in order to ensure that Again, we're not just kind of, you know, anecdotally thinking that we've got, you know, challenges to meet, but ensuring that we actually reflect, you know, where we're at as a business and what the issues are and where we need to do better. Okay. Amy, I'd like to bring you into the conversation in terms of industry solutions. Uh, You've been working with Carly and Laura from the Head Office Collective and myself on a mental health charter for the industry. Can you share some details about that? Uh, yeah, sure. We're in the early um, stages. Um, I got approached by head office to help them with this, um, to create a charter that is a mental health charter created by the PR industry for the PR industry. I mean, you've all mentioned some of the sort of well-known interventions like mental health first aid and mind and the index. And there are quite a few uh, indexes and charters now around. 
um, they tend to be sort of one size fits all. So the idea behind the charter was that as there is, uh, you know, quite there are specific issues within HR and specific ways that the industry runs so that actually having a charter that is created by representatives from all different areas of the PR industry from large um, firms to smaller agencies um, that actually is created and then built by then it's more likely to be signed up by and also more likely to deal with some of the PR specific issues. Okay fantastic. Just in conclusion, I'd just like to get everybody's thoughts about whether there's anything more the industry can do, um, or if you have any concluding thoughts about mental health um, in the industry. I'll start off with you, John. Uh, yeah, I think, um, well, I mean, we've the, the, a, a sort of a charter and a, a kind of an idea of something that we could actually sign up to that was, that was enforced. So I think we do an awful lot of surveys um, and, and to use, um, Indigo's line, you know, we do an awful lot of talking about this. I'm not necessarily sure we do a kind of collective as an industry enough um, action and, uh, and and to follow what Luciana was talking about as well, like uh, sort of reporting on this, um, transparent reporting. Um, and I think that's something that we could all do more of and actually a little bit of uh, not necessarily just enforcement, but an idea of something which we sign up to we commit to and we report on on a fairly regular basis feels like then it's an industry movement um so i'd, I'd, I'd like that to i'd like that to come to fruition okay indigo um i think on a very human level um as much as i am loath to quote this i'm sure all of us have heard the saying it's PR, not ER. And um, I think on the one hand, you know, that's a great expression to have because it's providing people with reassurance and con contextualizing the fact that, you know, they don't perhaps need to be as worked up or feel as pressured about something because in the grand scheme of things, it's not the end of the world. Um, but I think it's important for us to reflect and think why that saying, albeit, you know, um, a bit tongue in cheek, why that saying exists in the first place. Like why have we got to a to, to a point where people need to be reassured that their job is not as, as critical as ER. Um, and I think that boils down to the pressures that people are being put under. So I think just approaching everything in a more human way, respecting individuals, regardless of their level, regardless of their age and experience, um, I think will be hugely valuable, especially when you look at sort of hierarchies within agencies and a lot of the pressures that particularly on more junior, um, younger members of staff are, are still experiencing today. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Kevin? Yeah, it's interesting how much bravado there is in our industry. And I suppose it makes sense. You know, we, we specialise in in reputation and image and messaging, and therefore our talent of, of all ages sometimes feels like they need to put on this front. Uh, and actually, I wonder if we would be far more efficient if people were able to speak very openly about how some of those ER-like pressures are making them feel. Uh, because I think you either uh, repress or suppress the the mental health challenges that you experience as a direct result of work because you don't want to be seen as crazy or weak um, and then equally when you do share them there's nothing really done about it there's no shifting 
And so therefore, I feel like we need to create an environment where the communications of how one is feeling are not only accepted, celebrated, explored, but also, I think John made this point, directly acted upon in a much clearer way. And at the moment, it just feels like we're all, all kind of dealing in whispers and second guessing each other's feelings, when in reality, a bit more openness is the only way that we could really, really tackle it, both both macro and on an individual personal level. Okay. Luciana, I'd like to give you the final word. Well, certainly, I think there's so much that we can and should be doing in as an industry to address the challenges that we face around mental health because of the very specific um, uh, reasons why, as an industry, our teams might be impacted. Uh, again, speaking to the issues that we've raised around pace of work um the pressures of the work that we do having that very young workforce and actually you know as a sector it'd be really fantastic to have that sectoral approach um, if we can also attach to it people that can speak from their lived experience because if i look to other sectors it's fair to say that i can identify individuals who have been leaders um in this field that have helped to not just only advance advance the conversation but also to open things up and to ensure that there is less of a gulf between um, people's experience um, and being able to uh, talk about it and being able to access support about it and being open about it with their teams so for lots of different reasons it you know it always makes sense wherever possible to have a, a specific um sectoral approach and, and definitely PR would benefit from that um connected to that I would really like to see um leaders speaking out about their experience to make that difference all, all really, really valid and great ideas. And if you'd like to know more about the Mental Health Charter or share your experiences or thoughts on mental health, please do get in touch with me. This is an ongoing conversation. Uh, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. I'd really like to thank Amy, John, Kev, Indigo and Luciana for joining us and our production partners, Marketeers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit the PR Week website and support our journalism. On behalf of the PR Week team, until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to the PR Show podcast with Arvin Hickman. Brought to you by PR Week. If you like what you heard, please leave us a nice review. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.